Welcome to episode 168 of Q&A Quest. Uh, Wheels is temporarily indisposed, hopefully temporarily anyway. Uh, so filling in for introduction duties, uh, perennial guest hosts, David Bernie, Family Master, and with us as always. Your man in Japan, Michael Baker, Gaiji Minokatari. Without so you- a child this time. Ah. So I'm the one without the child this time, not Wheels. <laughs> Well, Wheels had to. Wheels had to pick up the slack. Yes. But, uh, so, yeah. Uh, been up to much? Um, let's see. Games-wise, not much. Just the same two working through regularly. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, just school stuff. How's that going? <laughs> oh, pretty good. I get a regular story time. Oh, nice. Yeah. That sounds like uh, the fun sort of thing to be doing while teaching. Yep. I mean, it's uh, it's basically an eighth grade story time. Ah, nice, nice. Yeah. So, um, because we want to try and get the kids to get used to actually he- um, hearing stuff than random grammar and stuff. Mm-hmm. Stories are good for that. Yeah. I mean, um, this week it was The Elves and the Shoemaker. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was a good one. Yeah. So what have you been playing recently? Uh, Not a whole lot that's germane to the subject. Uh, They just today on Switch put up an eShop demo for Mr. Driller Drill Land, which (laughs) that game never came to the U.S. the first time around, and it seems to be maybe the best Mr. Driller, so... That's kind of fun. Okay, I was not expecting that one. You hadn't heard about that? I've been uh, excited since it it got uh, registered. People noticed it was a trademark that they had registered as Mr. Driller Encore, and people weren't quite sure which one it would be and then it was like oh it's the gamecube one that people really like that only came out in japan so has a very nice soundtrack if you've never heard it nope i mean i never uh, had a i never had a gamecube so that wasn't one i was that was on my radar ever yeah uh feels soundtrack wise feels sort of predecessory to katamari and its emphasis on uh, vocal music and sort of an odd, uh, like non, not typical of games style, uh, and being a Namco project that would have been embarked upon about two years before that game. I should actually check if there's any sort of compositional crossover. But yeah, uh, yeah, there's a, there's a very real possibility there is, which is what makes me think about it. But, uh, yeah, I'm not sure how if anyone 
involved in this podcast has ever played a Mr. Driller game, but they're cute. They're a fun sort of puzzle style game. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, did I interrupt? I, my headphones briefly came out. <laughs> no. Okay. But yeah. Uh, imagine Tetris if you're trying to avoid blocks killing you. <laughs> but, uh, that's that's kind of the the high level of it. It's also technically in a horrifying continuity with old old Namco games Dig Dug and Baraduke, <laughs> which one of those people might have heard of, and one of those is exceptionally obscure. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, uh, that's, that's cute. Uh, the demo's up on the eShop. I'm very much contemplating picking up the full game, which seems to be about 30 bucks, which isn't too bad. But yeah. Uh, otherwise, have I played anything that's relevant to this? Like, I've played a lot of short pickup and play stuff, but I've had other things pressing on my time, so I haven't been able to sink my teeth into an RPG. The tragedy of life. Mm. Yep. So, yeah. Hmm. Well, I'm much, much farther into Summer in Mara. How's that going, then? Um, it looked like I wasn't going to go very well when I ran into a point where a bug seems to prevent you from completing a particular major quest line in the Switch version. Mm, that's a problem. That's yeah, a big problem. Yeah, it's supposed to be fixed in the next Switch update. However, um, I mean, the job itself is to take a mystery box, you don't know what's inside, and just dump it over the side of your boat in the middle of the ocean. Hmm. So um, the problem is that the button that is supposed to let you do that when you get out there is also the button that you normally use to get out of the boat when you're in shallower waters. Mm-hmm. And... Um, the game won't let you get out of the boat on open water. Ah. And um, the uh, the different input possibilities for that button were not properly whatevered um, yet. So the game thinks that you're trying to get out of the boat in a spot where you shouldn't be, and it um, won't let you. Mm-hmm. But as it turns out, um, uh, in the conversation leading up to this quest, um, Koa, the main character, just asks the person in question, well, why can't we just put in a trash can? And she's told, nope, nope, it has to be over the side of, of the boat in, into a trench or something. And as it turns out, you can actually throw it away in a trash can. And then lie to the person and say that, yes, you dumped it in the ocean. I mean, what is a trash can but the path to the ocean? Yes. So, yeah. So it's, I mean, after kind of worrying about this for a bit and managing to get as far as possible on every other side quest line. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, okay, I'm gonna, am I going to have to just wait for a week or two for this switch update for this game or whenever it's coming out? And then it's like, nope, you can get around it. Yay. <laughs> so, I'm keep going. so I'm still going on that. Well, at least it wasn't a complete showstopper. Yeah just had the possibility of being one until you know what <laughs> i was trying to recite i was trying to throw away something com- else completely different in the recycle bin and turns out you could throw the box away too you're free mm-hmm. uh, yeah uh otherwise your impressions positive or 
Yes. I mean, I think a lot of it comes from the fact that I did not know this game existed until um, Severin handed me the review code. Um, <laughs> um, I get the impression that some of the original Kickstarter marketing on this yeah. amounted to, uh, you know, um, sometimes on like, uh, like if somebody's promoting a, a book of theirs or an independent game, they say it's this thing cross that thing. Yeah, this thing meets that thing, yeah. Yeah, uh, I get the impression that some, at least someone in the marketing for Summer and Mara attempted to do it as uh, Wind Waker meets um, um, Stardew Valley. Yeah, that sounds like a, a thing I could see being successfully kickstarted just on that high-level pitch. Yes, um, and this game is not Wind Waker, nor is it Stardew Valley. It is Summer and Mara, <laughs> and it's perfectly fine as it is itself, but if you go in looking for either of those two others then you're probably going to be disappointed. Yeah, yeah. As is often the case with that sort of thing. <laughs> this is why I strongly, strongly disapprove of that kind of pitch. Yeah. And whenever, the, whenever there's a pitch um, event going on in, in the writing section of Twitter, I'm, I just look at all this as like, this, cross that. I'm like, first of all, I don't know what half of this is. Oh, it's and the problem. other half stopped making me interested. I want to know what the story you're telling is. Yeah. And if and the times I actually participate in that thing, I make sure that I don't use those kinds of pitches because it's just yeah, it's not really worth it. It's not actually like it creates a lot of bad expectations. Or um, going into another Quora story, somebody asked a question about. Um, is it okay if I say it plays like such and such game in my description of my game on the app store? I'm like, I guess you could probably do that, but do you really probably want to? Probably not illegal, but it sets up expectations. Are you? <laughs> I, I, was, I was more like, but do you really want to remind your potential customers that there is another game out there that they are more familiar with and might actually be better? Yeah, I feel that a lot whenever I see like, Games that are very specifically patterned after, I feel like for a while this was a common cottage industry in like indie RPGs, like very specifically patterned after, say, Chrono Trigger. It's like that was my first thought. Yes, it's just like the more awesome you remind hero. me of that, the wor the worse you're gonna look because you're not gonna win. <laughs> it's like Cosmic Star Heroine, Chrono Trigger cross Fantasy Star, which is completely accurate, and it's still a good game. It just doesn't quite go as well as either of its obvious progenitors. Yeah. I was thinking about that a lot when Octopath Traveler came out, where it's like, that uses bits and pieces of other games, but doesn't use enough to feel like any of them in specific, which worked out better for it, because it didn't invite as many harsh comparisons. <laughs> Even though, like, it, it helped at least for the English press that a lot of people kept trying to associate it with Saga because it had eight characters, and it's like, I promise you it plays nothing like that. Yeah. But that, uh, is, that kind of strangely, shows... It is strangely danger. open on how where you can go and how you can do things, which is certainly a very Saga-ish trait. Mm -hmm. But, I, you know, I actually need to play this sometime. I mean, its resale, yeah. its resale value in Japan is still up to, like, 40 bucks, which is... Oh, wow. wow. Yeah, I mean, that's... I mean, the Switch games have been um, preserving their value quite well for the, mm -hmm. for the major, um, major companies. Yeah. 
So, I mean, most of the cheap RPGs I've been able to find on the Switch, even then, have been at least $10. Mm-hmm. And still pretty good. Um, I need to get back into work time, to work by work. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is the cheapest RPG I've been able to find on the system. Yeah. Just because it's cute and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm sure we can ask Wheels what he's playing soon. Mm-hmm. I hope so. Yes. I hope so too. Just let's let's say yes. three, two, one, and make him magically appear. Yes. Oh, a wheel! Yay! It worked. Okay. Well, I was playing uh, the Outer Worlds, and then I beat it. He ran out of it. Yes. Oh well. I even finished all my companion quests. That's how wow. much I was enjoying it. And I'm not usually one for side quests. Hmm. So I, I mean, have, the companions in Outer Worlds are really good. Yeah. Uh, and apparently I had missed one early on in the game, so I had to go back and get them. And Ooh, I'm curious now. It's it's pretty funny. Like, one of the requirements for getting her was, like, uh, oh, I mean, something about a place I'd already been to and solved other problems. So it's just like, oh, yeah, that's all settled. <laughs> you can join now. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Interesting. The only annoying thing was uh, my favorite character, Parvati. Yeah. Uh, I hit some bug so that her epilogue was, oh, she didn't survive your journey. Oh, that's awful. Yeah, and I was just like, what the... She was a- right next to me. Apparently, that's, that's something that can happen. Yeah. I mean, Which it's sucks. much more stable than most Obsidian games, but still. There's a few bugs there, but that, I guess that's... That's not unique to the Switch version. That is in all versions. I, I presume it's probably something to do with the because of the existence of the permadeath mode. Yeah, it's something weird like that. Uh, yeah, you seemed like you were having a ball with it. Yeah, no, I I even got through the final area without any conflict whatsoever. I just talked my way through it. I'm always excited when you can do that. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, I'm hoping that gets a sequel at some point because I'm kind of over Fallout at this point. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, especially if especially if Fallout's gonna keep being Fallout seventy six. Oh, let's not talk. <laughs> I didn't even mean that one. <laughs> I was just talking yeah, about no, Fallout Four. Fallout or Fall from Grace. Yeah, Fallout Four, which I tried my damnest to get into, and it was just bored. Like if. Yeah. If you set that in Boston and you can't keep hold my interest, something is not right. <laughs> <laughs> you can even live in the baseball stadium, Wheels. It's not the same. But yeah, no, I understand. Uh, I, I feel like, again, I think I've mentioned this a couple times, but I feel like a Twitter thread from around when the game initially released on uh, PS4, Xbox, and PC, where they were sort of talking about... Uh, the fact that, like, Fallout is built... Like, Fallout written well is built on Cold War paranoia. Yeah. Which is something that is harder and harder to relate to, even for people who lived through it, <laughs> who are becoming a smaller percentage of the audience. So, yeah, like, the outer world... Yeah, find some way of rebooting it. Yeah, like, you need to you need to find a way to, like, refresh its themes, which the outer world does by being about, like, a more modern concern of like you know the 
uh, monetization of human lives and like hypercapitalism. Yeah. So. I mean, you can even, not just that, but this far off space colony that's kind of falling apart. Yeah. So you kind of get the whole, the whole like, oh, this everything's kind of effed. Theme. Late yeah. stage anarcho capitalism. Yeah. Basically. It's it's yeah, well, not anarcho, but only the because the corporations have set their own laws. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, um, do you ever, have you ever actually looked into um, the major proponents of anarcho capitalism in science fiction? Uh, never looked too it's, far into them. Th- there, there are a handful of major content producers, like even published novelists, who are really into this particular economic philosophy. Oh, and something that I've always noticed whenever they try to make a far future paradise of the sort, it it generally relies on a very low base population and a stupendously high tech support or tech support level. Yeah, it seems like it would be required fundamentally for it to make to scale in any fashion. Like it doesn't scale in any fashion, I guess would be the pretty much yeah. So um, that kind of hurts their arguments for anarcho-capitalism in the here and now, for one thing, because they need they actually literally require science fiction in order to make it work. Um, yeah. But also. Um, most of the authors I can think of that really do this, it takes them less than half a full novel to descend into polemic. Um, into polemic. Yeah, yeah. And it generally goes downhill from there. Uh, granted, they still last longer than Ayn Rand did in that, but still, it's uh, not, not good. That was the amazing thing the first time I uh, took a look at any piece of Ayn Rand fiction. It was just like reading it just far enough to get to the point where it's like, I can't even reach the, like, the politics in this because your prose is so bad and so boring. (laughs) That's because she was not writing fiction. She was writing polemic. Yep, it was bad. Not recommended. Oh, (laughs) yeah, I mean, be thankful of Atlas Shrugged, where it is literally a 100-plus page speech. Oh, Given this by is the, John Galt speaking. Given, it's one of the most mind-numbing things ever <laughs> written. Exactly. It's John Galt um, on TV giving his manifesto speech, and it is literally over 100 pages of the novel. Does it describe how everyone watching is fast asleep at the end of it? It does no. something. 100 pages? No, because the entire point of Atlas Shrugged is that John Galt is the most perfect ubermensch on the planet. Oh. Yeah. Like the, I mean, I read a very funny review just... of the uh, three movies that they made out of the book, where none of the movies shared any of the same cast members, despite having the same actual characters. And so the reviewer came to the conclusion that the true hero and protagonist of the three movies was John Galt's hair. Because <laughs> <laughs> that was the only real constant, was the perfect hair. John Galt, the man of the perfect quaff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, like that's I believe even within the fiction of Atlas Shrugged, who is this is John Galt speaking is supposed to last three hours, and no one would sit through that. <laughs> yeah, because again, it is not supposed to be fiction that is indicative of reality. It is supposed to be a manifesto. Yep. But 
speaking of games that are actually speaking of writing that's actually interesting Outer Worlds yes yes speak more (laughs) um so in in um so I search YouTube for Parvati's actual epilogue so I could see see what you had missed yeah and caught some of the other epilogues and yeah I definitely want to do some more playthroughs and see how you could mess up mess up the uh, storylines of the different companions and just the different ways uh, the game could end. I feel like that's a, that's a concept that's sort of slowly accreted out of a lot of Western RPGs because of the that's not, like their games that people got irritated that really old ones are really really mean about like companion dies or their quest ends in like a non-indicative fashion yeah so that's sort of accreted out of them it's like well that's player unfriendly but once you take too much out of it it's just like well that's not interesting it's just going down a checklist for each companion yeah so it's useful to have that uh ability to like it's not it's fairly simple not simple but it's fairly intuitive to get you know what you want out of a companion storyline in Outer Worlds, but there are ways that it can go pear shaped. Yeah. Uh, the the biggest takeaway from the game, though, is for this sort of RPG, I would really, really like them to stop making giant worlds and shrink everything to be much smaller. <laughs> that was why, I but, like, when oh god, I was gonna say, but that goes against the general feeling that everything must be massively open world. Yeah, well, that's stupid though. <laughs> Like yes, but it's world. still marketing. I know, I know. And stupid of, marketing is a tautology. Uh, yeah, I remember. Like I remember when I first picked it up, and people were like, "Yeah, it's like a new Fallout." And I'm like, "Yeah, kind of. Like certainly, its mechanics are Fallouty, but I mean, its sense of stripped back scale reminds me more of a uh, Knights of the Old Republic or a." Uh, you know, Mass Effect, that sort of, that school of RPG, where, like, you can actually figure out, you can you can explore a world and feel like you understand basically everything that's in it, and that's actually not a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, like, you know, I mean, I mean, like, that, that became, like, I, I remember complaining about this, like, five years ago, that the problem that I was having with the way that Western RPGs have moved is that they've moved uh, Western RPGs as a genre, not Western RPGs as in all RPGs from the West, but the WRPG genre as a whole had moved into the space where every company was trying to be every other company and being very bad at it. Like, uh, the like when Fallout 4 came out, it was like, well, Bethesda's trying to tell a more sort of bioware story with the main campaign of this, but they're terrible at it. Their writing isn't up to snuff. It, I don't care about it. Mm. And they've pared back what they are good at to do it. And Bioware had just made like Dragon Age Inquisition, which like still had like Bioware writing, but it was now separated out by just dozens of hours of nothing. <laughs> and this is what happens when you pay too much attention to what your competitor is succeeding at and thinking, I should be doing that. Yes. Yeah, pretty Instead much. Of your own success. Yeah, it was very much they just like they some somewhere between like focus group publisher demands whatever they had both like made worse copies of each other 
Yeah. Like the only company that did pretty okay with that was CD Projekt Red, who did uh, manage to make most of their side quest content content in Witcher Three compelling, but you know that's not that's still way fewer good Western RPGs than I was playing beforehand. Yeah. So. And also, CD Projekt seems to be a lot more secure in themselves. Yeah, yeah. Whereas Bethesda and everyone else seem to be just a little too hyper-aware of of the competition. Yeah, it's a problem. Yeah. (laughs) It's a problem. Which also, I mean, that kind of self-confidence in your ability to create is one of the things I really like about some of the older Japanese studios, where... You're yeah. like, you know what, let's just try to make this. And that's also like where uh, like Japanese RPGs ended up running into a lot of huge problems back in like, you know, a decade before. Where it was just like they started being concerned about like what their new. Yeah, what the competition was doing and like what was, and you know, too uh, focused on like trying to consciously recapture what they were good at and failing because they were too focused on audience expectation, which I'm glad to yeah. see they've shifted away from again. Yes. But actually, this kind of goes, dovetails neatly into our one question for the day. Yeah. Thank you, yeah. Pearl, by the way. Yes. So, shall I read? Sure. <clears throat> First, I assume I'll be too late for the next Q&A, but <laughs> Technically, he was like four days, or um, let's see, what was it? Did the nineteenth? Yeah, about four days late for the previous Q and A, but just on time for this one. Yeah. Um, what are the weirdest RPG battle systems you have seen? Any unusual but seemingly forgotten mechanics you feel deserve to be revisited and refined by modern developers? <coughs> Worlds in with you. <coughs> um, oh, that I feel like I should mention. Uh, there are there is a countdown to another world ends with you announcement that seems to be an animated uh, adaptation of it. Oh, never mind. <laughs> that could be interesting. Thought you meant something so. in addition to that one. Yeah, I'm I'm yeah. interested. Like, I think that it could make a good anime. <laughs> yeah, it's I'm all certainly for that, uh, it's certainly right up there. Yeah, it's also so. structured in a way that fits well with an anime. So. <laughs> I should note on that battle system, I liked it a lot more on tablet than I did on DS. It's easier to understand on tablet, but I think it's more thematically complete on DS. Probably, yes. (laughs) I I took one look at this question and I had to go back over my old list of reviews to see what really stood out. (laughs) So, any guesses on which ones stood out the most? Because I'm pretty sure I've talked about all of these before on the on the podcast. Hmm. There's, there's like a certain like handful that you tend to remind us of, have to taunt us that we'll never get to play them in English. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm not I'm not pulling which ones. Oh yeah, speaking of perennially things that. Uh, you taunt us about not being able to play in English. Apparently, a fan translation just got completed of Metal Max Three for DS. Cool. If you have the chance, play it. So, for means, but yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, however, I mean, a lot of the ones I really taunt you with, they have either fairly common core mechanics in one way or another, yeah, or they're part of a series that has been ongoing, like Metal Max. So you know what? It's still there. So they don't count for this question. 
So Saga and Metal Max do not count here. Mostly. <laughs> Mostly. Mostly. They have interesting mechanics, but they're not that crazy, and they have been revisited. Well, except for the Saga 3 remakes, um, time freeze stuff. Yeah. That's kind of yeah. different. That, but, could, that could actually be iterated upon. <laughs> yeah. If you could match it to a good story again. Mm-hmm. Yep. But no, the first thing I thought of was an old Game Boy Color game called Kakarimbo Battle Monster Tactics. Oh, I do remember you talking about this. <laughs> the the squad-based hide-and-go-seek tactical RPG. What? That's not real. It's oh, real. Oh, my God. It's real. You you ha- you pick your team of three, and you go into a dungeon where there are between two and five monsters hiding in the darkness, and you have flashlights. Um, so you have some a lot of fun with lines of sight, and you it's quite possible to watch a monster walk straight past you because you are just far enough into a corridor that it can't see you. <laughs> Things like that. And... Uh, but yeah, the title actually translates as "Hide and Go Seek Battle uh, Monster Tactics," <laughs> and it is a, a cute little game. So, and it's just the kind of theming that doesn't show up that much either. <laughs> yeah, but it's just one of the more interesting approaches to uh, tactical combat that I have ever seen. Hmm. Yeah. And far more stealth-focused than most tactical RPGs I've ever seen. You see that a bit in, like, the really hardcore tactics games like XCOM, but those tend to, like, be your stealth until you're inevitably discovered and then, like, hope that the numbers fall in your favor. <laughs> yeah, whereas this is you're, stalk- you're actively stalking monsters in a dungeon and hoping that they don't find you before you find them, in many mm. cases. And plus, um, as your characters gain, I mean, as you um, catch monsters or defeat monsters, you can gain abilities off of them that you can equip onto your different party members. And everyone at some point or other gets bomb-type abilities that you can equip on. And and there's at least one major boss monster that can only be damaged with bombs. <laughs> or, when I say bombs, landmines. Ah, so you actually have to lure the thing in to walk on bombs. Quite fun. Well, yeah, I maintain my joke. I remember that Metal Gear boss. Ah. <laughs> uh, uh, I, so I don't think many people would guys? the Metal Gear Two boss, but <laughs> Metal Gear Metal Gear Solid Two. Are we talking about the guy no, who Solid Two? Read no, the Metal Gear Two. Read your stuff, like read your save files, and no, that's Metal Gear turn- Solid One. I'm talking about Metal Gear Two Solid Snake for the MSX. There's a boss called Running Man that can only be fought by playing by laying landmines in front of where he's running. Oh boy. <laughs> Asked about uh, his favorite bosses in the series. That was uh, one of Kojima's favorite bosses somehow. <laughs> well, I mean, it requires some interesting thinking and use of non or irregular equipment. And also with a reference to an 80s movie. (laughs) And that too. All of his favorites. Mm -hmm. But yeah, sorry to interrupt. Uh, I'm sure that you have plenty of others, actually. (laughs) I'm sure, yes, but I want to give you guys a chance before I figure out which one to bring up next. Wheels, you got any? 
Uh, trying to think of some good ones. Come back to me. I was trying to use that time to think of good ones. Okay, then next one: Magical Starshine, the oh, uh, the Ephemerites. Basically, um, the st- um, the strength of a given character's magic is based entirely on the location of the planets according to a star map. And halfway through the game, you gain the ability to burn MP in order to shift the planetary rotation around the sun (laughs) and uh, uh, bring people into or out of um, high-power situations. Hmm. So it's... Interesting because it allows you to, I mean, it's an interesting method of boosting yourself. It's also an interesting method of de- of debuffing enemies, if necessary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, all in good. Okay. I'm, I'm completely ruined because I heard you say magical star sign and my brain started uh, playing good morning star shine, so I might be dead. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it is magical star shine, or is it star shine or star... It was Star Sign in America. Two is the copy I'm playing, or I've played. So I don't remember what the English title is at the time. It was it was Magical Star Sign in North America. Okay. Good morning, Star Sign. The Earth says hello. Okay. Uh, actual thoughts. Actual thoughts. Wheels, please throw me a life raft. Uh, Valkyrie Profile, Covenant of the Plume, and its interesting fusion of Valkyrie Profile's already unique battle system and tactics battles. Yeah, but we've already seen like 10 different varieties of that, even Hyperdimension. And none of them are the tactics battle type. Oh, that one. Yeah, that's why I said Covenant of the Plume. Oh, yes. That's that's a good one. That's like that one was interesting to me because I first played it and I was like, I don't see how these can coexist. And then I played it and it's like, oh, they can. And I would I mean, be interested Project Cross in seeing... Project Crosszone pretty close. Project Crosszone is doing something similar, but I wouldn't consider them the same, because, like, Covenant of the Plume is so much... Like, Crosszone revolves around paired units, whereas, like, Covenant of the Plume requires you to, like, position all of your characters to really get the most out of it. It makes you think about positioning both as, like, a support attack concept in addition to, like, keeping your characters out of harm's way. Yep. It's a very interesting system. But yeah, that's that's one that I was thinking of. I'm like, oh, that's that's an, a battle system I think there could be more explored out of. I think that, in general, tactics battle systems have a lot of this, just because, like, a lot of games in the genre kind of fit into a couple of different molds and stick hew pretty closely to that set of rules. Mm-hmm. So, like, you get the... And occasionally you'll get like ones that's that move out of it. I remember there's that period where Nipponichi most of their games like threw out the like square grid in favor of uh like essentially giant circle circle range radiuses, which was very different. Oh, Phantom Brave. Yeah, Phantom Brave and I think uh Makai Kingdom also did that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But you know, they kind of they kind of threw that out. They've never really touched it again. I don't think. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that that might also be another one. 
I think there's still more meat on those bones, especially because they never did one that used that system that didn't already have kind of a gimmicky system around how you got characters into battle. Mm-hmm. In Phantom Brave, you had the, like, you could only have a spirit possessing an object for X period of time. And in uh, Makai Kingdom, there was some weird system about inviting people into battle. Mm-hmm. Choices were made. Hmm. Okay, let me think. What was going to be the next one on my list? Hmm. Seven, the Mulmorth Cavalry. Don't remember that one. <laughs> you know Venus and Braves? The name rings a bell, but uh, that's about it. Oh, the, they're two games. They make up their own little series there. I'm th- pretty sure they both have the same battle system, but it hasn't been seen in over a decade now since uh-huh. the, since Venus and Braves was, had a PSP remake. Uh-huh. Um, but the idea here is that you have your, your group of characters, mm-hmm. and you arrange them in three rows mm-hmm. with um, their actions based on, um, they've got different actions based on, on which row that they are on. Mm-hmm. Um, like certain characters like archers can fire over the heads of frontline characters and mm-hmm. pretty much all healing abilities are um, only work on the rear, on the back line. Mm-hmm. And every round you have the choice to rotate the line forward. Mm-hmm. Or not, you can um, you can pause it for another round and let the front line take more damage. And sometimes this is preferable because sometimes the front line, um, if your front line is the kind that can really block stuff in a specific way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Okay. Uh, let me keep going. Thinking. Thinking. You got any wheels? <laughs> thinking. I was thinking of uh, the uh, Raido Kuzunoha battle system of, like, I, I think that there would be something in... Hmm? Mm-hmm. Just, just the idea, like, not even specifically that battle system per se, but just the idea of, like, fusing action elements with the press turn system seems like something that hasn't really been done much with, but I think could prove interesting. Just wait until they do the full magic for, uh, magical girl version of Yakuza. Oh, <laughs> give that to it, me. Because, <laughs> I mean, hey, they have, done, they have done historical samurai drama version and zombie apocalypse version. You, and, we got one of those for some reason. <laughs> yeah, and, the, uh, and Yakuza 7 is supposed to be including job, um, like job classes in a direct parody of Dragon Quest just because... Yeah, no, they they actually requested permission from Square to reference Dragon Quest by name, mm-hmm. just so that they could do that. But yeah, so you know what, they should just go for it. <laughs> I mean, Five also had dance battles, so. so yeah, beat rhythm dance battles, and then they also had the Fist of the North Star meets Yakuza game. Oh man, that game's really fun. <laughs> yeah, just imagining. Um, what's-his-face from Fist of the North Star running a hostess club and having to do things like create the ice sculpture through very precise finger hits. So good. And I remember around the time that came out actually looking up why the sound effect Hidebu is associated with Fist of the North Star. Mm-hmm. So, morbid in the, right, in the way you would expect. Yeah. 
uh, see what else. Um, someone hideously mispronouncing uh, Itai. So. Hmm? Itai? Yeah, Itai. Just like it hurts. Oh. Itai! Yeah. yeah. But their head is swelling in such a way that it's causing their mouth to malform. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So that's that's kind of what I have to contribute to this uh, concept. <laughs> but, come on, wheels. I'll scare something out of you. Let's see. Let's see. How obscure can we get? No, no. I'm looking through, and like the out of the first ten games on my review list, nine of them are Atelier. So I'm. I mean, that's repeating a lot of stuff. There. That'll happen. The Children of Zodiacs had an interesting combination of dice rolls and card-based battle hmm. in a tactical situation. That was interesting. Um, Say, so Croquette DS was a combination tactical and side and side view beat 'em up. I'm interested in this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it wasn't the best little game on the planet, and in, on the tactical side, the AI was complete rubbish. But um, it was kind of fun. Conceptually, and, it's a very good idea. <laughs> and the um, and the story played out like a lost season of the anime. Nice. It was kind of fun. Um, what else we got here? Cross Treasures. That was mostly action. Didn't get uh, Cross of Venus. No, thank you. Um, let's see. <laughs> Dinosaur King was all rock paper scissors. Literally, rock paper scissors. <laughs> Which was fun. Um, let's see. Oh, Dungeons and Dam. I think I remember you mentioning that one. Yeah. Um, that was a, um, I mean, squad-based, uh, real-time strategy slash tower defense, sort of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where you also had the option after Chapter 3 or 4 to flood the dungeon. And you better hope that your guys are not in the way when that happens. Yeah, that makes sense. They, I mean, they do tend to return after four or five days. It takes a while to walk back up the, from the end of the river. Um, let's see. Athea? Oh, no, no, not Athea. Um, Athea had a very strong formation-based battle system. Mm-hmm. Except that um, every time you got attacked randomly, mm-hmm. it would be from it could be from any one of four cardinal directions, and your entire formation would be turned around in depending on which direction it was. And mm-hmm. so you might have to waste a round in order to put yourself back into a formation that was actually beneficial. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's how not to do this. <laughs> Extetra, that's the one where half of the, or actually all of the major character attacks were based on a kissing minigame. Uh-huh. It's not even the first and, kissing RPG I've heard of. Yeah, um, yeah. I, mean, I, ca- I called it the kissing RPG in Japandemonium for the longest time. Um, 
But I remember but how that, will people I, tell it apart from Chulip? Trust me, there's no no yeah, yeah, way that they yeah. can confuse this. Um, but yeah, the uh, configuration menu on that allowed you to toggle the minigame. Mm-hmm. Specifically, it allowed you to toggle the minigame according to the gender of the character in the party. As you do. So yeah, you could toggle off the kissing game with the girls or with the boys. Yeah, but that's, that's a good. And idea. there is no choice of gender for the main character. <laughs> And in fact, it takes several more chapters into the game before the boys have this ability unlocked because they are flat out refused to do it. <laughs> Cowards. Every single one of them. Yep. Let's see. Guardian's Crusade allowed you to pull oh, out... the living toys. Yeah, the living toys. It was really cute. and I mean, the final boss, actually, there was a very non-intuitive thing you could do where you pulled out this one, one toy that specifically doubled all damage dealt on the bat- field of battle. Hmm. Yours and the opponents. Yeah, that seems high risk. Because the final boss had a ninety like a ninety five percent miss rate. Ah. So I mean I was trying to figure out how to how to deal enough damage to this guy so that I could actually um defeat it before he got lucky and one shotted me. And then I was looking over the the toy descriptions and I realized, you know what? He one shots me already Doubling the amount of damage isn't going to do a thing. The same amount of dead. Yes. And you know what? That works really well. Um, <laughs> let's see what else we got in here. Hamator looking at look at Smoking World. It was another tactical game, and had a, a it's like um had something similar to Xenogears where you had you could keep pushing buttons and combinations to hit in different ways. Mm-hmm. In one turn, but you could also switch positions around an, an enemy target in the middle of an attack. Mm-hmm. So you could start from behind, punch him in the back, and then when he turns around to face you, you could sidestep twice using up two more action points and then bash him again from behind. Hmm. Yeah. That was fun. Um, let's see. And then Nightmare Project Yakata had something similar going on, but with turn-based instead of strat- of tactical. Mm-hmm. Mm. Let's see, Kamurai, no thank you. Akimi no Yusha, don't remind me. Um, Kurikin, the real-time strategy Pokemon sort of game involving germ warfare. Well, that, that escalated quickly. Literally germ warfare, because all of the collectible monsters are actually microbes, and you fight it out on Petri dishes. I will kill the final boss with a prion disease. The final boss was a prion disease. Oh, well, okay then. Well, I mean... My joke is ruined. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in one way or another. I mean, the, the game yeah. had a very loose definition of microbe, in yeah. this case. But the final boss was actually a... It was. I, I'm not sure if you could actually describe it as sentient or sapient, except when it was in, it had infected somebody and was running off of their hardware. Hmm. At which point it was super intelligent <laughs> and trying to take over the world. Um, Very feast or famine that way. Yeah. Let's see. Linda Cube was weird for many things besides its battle system. Yeah, that's like the one thing I've never heard you describe as weird in that one. <laughs> 
Yeah. Um, that's why I really hope they remake it sometime and give it a much more interesting battle system. Um, Magi Nation, that one was a card-based Pokemon summoning type game. I have a friend who's really into that. Who was really into that? I mean, the card game still exists. Yeah, yeah, not in the, not in English. It doesn't. <laughs> it's an, it was an American game system. Huh. Yeah. Could have sworn it didn't exist anymore. Maybe it's just very obscure now. <laughs> it's obscure now, but it, I mean, it came from America. The original game was Game Boy Color, and the version that came to Japan was Game Boy Advance. Okay, let's see. Let's see. Seems like they did like a Kickstarter to relaunch it at some stage. Quite possibly. Let's see. Maple Story <laughs> doesn't fit the question here. Metabots certainly does not fit the question here. <laughs> Merminoid. Uh, Merminoid had a battle system that was based on chained attacks. And um, every once in a while, you would randomly be able to chain an extra attack onto something, and it would stick. And suddenly mm -hmm. you'd have a slightly different attack ability. However, all of these things were attached to specific weapons in a sequence, so if you happen to skip a weapon in the sequence, then you might have just accidentally kept your own, well, not kneecaps because they didn't have them, um, but for half the game until you went back to that one town and got the right weapon. Let's see. Next up, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven Metal Max game reviews in a row. Yeah, okay. Monster Tactics are described. Monster Traveler was, was Pokemon-esque. Moon did not have a battle system. Let's see. Yeah. Let's see here. Noir U Noir used basically um, Artanelico's battle system, or a very early version of it. Let's see. Quest for Glory, Romancing Saga, let's see, Saga, Saga, Saga. Okay, Sergeant Frog, that one was Tails. Yeah, which is good, but very well explored at this point. <laughs> Study Quest, oh dear lord. Uh, um, huh. One of the rare 1.5s I've ever given. That's always a shame. <laughs> yeah, the battle system was based off of um, Japanese elementary school competitive quick calculation. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, I, I could not manage this game at the sixth grade level because I could not input the stuff fast enough, and I kept forgetting for that, for example, fractions are inputted in reverse of what you would do in English. Oh, boy, that, that'll, yeah, that'll trip you up. And this isn't even counting the fact that it was a card-based battle system where you had to stock up on numbers and mathematical, um, mathematical signs. Simple. <laughs> at very specific spots, and you were very liable to run out of the things before you could find a place, or even worse, have like five battles requiring a divide sign before you could actually buy divide signs. There were mistakes made. Many mistakes. Seems made. like it. Let's see what else here. Tactics Lair, one of those games that was based on cosplay. Makes sense. Yeah. Summon Knight Cross, that one played mostly like Final Fantasy IV, except it had lots and lots and lots of field gimmicks on battles, which is fun. Um, tails, 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 Tails. The Heirs. Yes, that one. 
Um, hmm. Airplane battles. Ah. <laughs> um, where all three of your characters in the airplane got turns each round, and each of them did different things, because one's the pilot, one is the navigator, and one's the engineer. And the navigator girl, half of her attacks were literally her shouting, in, um, like insulting the other airplane's pilot. <laughs> <laughs> debuffs and damage. Just feel too bad about myself to pilot this airplane properly. Yes. Um, see, the Tozan RPG, that was basically the uh, ogre battle um, map system as translated into mountain climbing. Oh, yeah, I remember you talking about this one. Yeah. Please insert the chaos frame system into this mountain climbing RPG. Yes. I mean, it's a it's a hilarious idea, and I wish they'd actually done more with it, for, like extra missions or something besides simply get to the top and beat the boss. <laughs> Let's see. Don't want to remember that one. Don't want to remember that one. Don't want to remember that one. Xenosaga 1 and 2, nothing really unique there in the battle system. <laughs> Yo Kaido, again, don't really want to remember it, but it actually had a pretty good puzzle system for its battles. It <laughs> just had very few ways of actually healing. <sighs> and a six item limit in your inventory. <sighs> six individual item limit in the inventory. So it could be six potions. Finally. All you need. Yep. And Zetai Ondan Otoda Master. Huh. Pokemon, but where everything is personified sound. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, I can I can parse how that name works now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, okay, well, that's me going through most of my review history. I got a couple of here I skipped, like Soul Getter, Sigma Harmonics. Oh, I remember you talking about Sigma Harmonics. Yeah. Yeah, Soul Getter was very dr- just Dragon Questy. It was what made it interesting was a lot of the puzzle solving. And the story element of the main character had to get home every day um, for dinner or else, um, or because her parents did not actually know that she was out adventuring. The, the title was something like After School, After School Adventure. Um, so we'll get her. <laughs> and when the parents actually discover what their child has been doing as a quote-unquote club activity, um, she gets a massive spanking. Seriously. She gets a whipping. <sighs> it's, yeah. Oh, well. I have a very weird review list. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but someone had to, because otherwise there'd be no information on half these games in English at all. <laughs> yes, um, I'm talking about mo- um, Monster Tactics. We have the m- we have more screenshots of that game than any other English language website. Literally. And I yeah. had to dig them up out of the Nintendo of Japan websites to actually find anything on this. <laughs> So, so, to find any webs, um, to find any screenshots that were not literally just the starting town. 
Because, <laughs> I mean, Game Packs didn't have any combat screens of this game. Oh. <laughs> okay. Okay, but yeah, that, that seems to have... Uh... Exhausted the question. Yeah, pretty much. That was. No, I was uh, waiting. I was waiting for Wheels to mention um, End of Eternity. Um, Wheels will be dead. <laughs> yeah. Or whatever the title was in English. Uh, I believe that was Resident of Fate in English. Thank you. Thank you. I was trying to remember if I was conflating it with some other name with, that had had a title change from something that was fairly innocuous to something that was equally innocuous. Talking about <laughs> from what I heard, they may have had a like a copyright issue with an old Asimov story. That would make sense. Yeah. What were you saying, Will? You're talking about End of Eternity? Good old Resident of Fate, yeah. Yeah. That's a battle system that could use re-exploration. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and, uh, there we go. It was a 1955 science fiction novel by Asimov. Yeah, yeah, that would probably still run into issues. So I can see why they changed it. Yeah. Fifty-five years after the after the fact, I'm sure there were so many people who were just like, "Oh, my search is ruined." Oh, they can go cry me a river because they've never tried to search for themselves using my name. Uh... There is a reason why I decide I asked very nicely to use my wife's maiden name as a pin name. Because, I mean, when you have to add eight, like five to eight extra words onto a search string in order to get myself up onto the front page or um, the first page of Google results for myself. SEO um, as hell. <laughs> yes. On the plus side, it does tend to make me a little difficult to do background checks on, apparently. Huh. So, n n so no joke, my, uh, my wife's old um, host dad in Florida. Uh, when we announced our engagement, he actually looked me up on uh, in databases just to do his uh, own due diligence. Yeah. And then he had to call my uh, my wife or girlfriend at the time to figure out exactly which Michael Baker from South Oklahoma City I was supposed to be because he <laughs> had only narrowed it down to 72 people. Please, there's so many of them. Yes. <laughs> he was actually uh. he was able to identify my grandmother more easily than me. <laughs> uh, that's, uh, well, it's easy to get lost in a crowd if that's what you want, but uh, if you wanted to stand out, it wasn't going to be fun. <laughs> yeah. That, that's why it's Michael Yadimizu all the way on Amazon. Because, yeah, I'm, I'm in the top five results for Yadimizu right now in English. Well, that's something at least. And I'm amazed that there are others. <laughs> yeah, not a common English name. Well, I mean, not not a common Japanese name either, and it's most yeah. of the other hits are from medical journals because apparently there's a Dr. Yaramizu somewhere. But, uh, but yeah, wow. it's a, it's quite a rare name in this country. Interesting. Except in these in the town where my wife is from. <laughs> Where the in only high school, place anyone was called it. In in high school, she had a classmate, same classroom, with the exact na same name as her. No meaningful relation. <laughs> no relation at all, but same last name, same first name. Well, that's 
weird. <laughs> yep. Except the other girl wrote her name in kanji, and my wife writes it in hiragana. Oh, fair enough. That would make it at least easier to tell. <laughs> yeah. In writing, not, not in actually, speaking. Yeah, not in speaking. How common is that, weird. actually? Huh? Choosing to write out your name in hiragana. I'm just kind of curious. Well, it's it's not something she chose. It's her parents put it down uh, in hiragana to begin with. Um there, it's, I mean, it's still something that can happen sometimes for women's names, and mm. but very often the actual reason for the choice is numerology. Oh, uh, number of Where strokes parents, in it, or hmm? number of strokes in the name, or yeah, thought so. So it just depends on the the family and the choice. Um, you'll yeah. also see a lot of like you'll also see names start with hiragana or even katakana and end with the kanji ko for women's names. Hmm. So, like, my, my mother-in-law's name is um, Hiragana Hiragana Kanji, like that. Hmm. So, it's just, it's it's an older style, because up until the early, mid-20th century, women generally didn't use Kanji for their names to begin with. Hmm. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Happens. Uh, we are out of questions, but Wheels, did you ever think of an answer to this question other than Resonance of Fate? No, you stole mine. It was Resonance of Fate. <laughs> hey, we were waiting for you to get to it, and yeah, you never did. I know, I know, I know. Uh, maybe one day. How about Natural Doctrine? Fair sure. enough, fair enough. No one else that. is going to bring that up. <laughs> yes, uh... So that was the game, which was a double combo of tactical RPG, where none of your characters can die or you get a game over, and weird turn manipulation. That's always fun. Both of them oh, yeah, could probably have been done there. better. Yeah. Okay. Um, something else I liked. Um, a lot of the the weirder game mechanics I like involve some sort of either turn or condition manipulation. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just going to put down uh, Final Fantasy Tactics Advance. Yes. Yeah. Because I loved the judge system with the cards and the rules in the first game. Not the second one, the first one. Um, just because, I mean, you could see ahead. You could tell what would be um, a- active in a few days' time. You could plan ahead so that you went into a battle with a fire against a fire mage on a fires illegal day um (laughs) um you could actively break laws or um like get yellow carded and take the risk or um you could just use items to change the laws completely Mm -hmm. all there i mean tactical in a way outside the actual combat yeah yeah you can uh set the rules in your favor and then Advance 2 went and ruined all of it. Yeah, I never played much Advance 2, so I don't know how the law system works in that one. Laws were specifically connected to locations. That's a shame. Yes. There was no way to manipulate them. Um, uh. And even uh, it gets better. There was only one effect if a law was broken. and Or technically two effects, but it happened no matter what law was broken. Um mm-hmm. First of all, resurrections were off the table completely. Mm-hmm. Second of all, team abilities were 
canceled. No team abilities. Huh. However, I mean, we, we can start to see some of the issues here when you realize that battles against other teams, like um, these two penalties only really work if you're in a versus match against another human player. Yeah. Um, against most of the battles in the game, this is only a penalty for you. Yeah. And, I mean, I mean that's that's bad enough as it is right there because there is no incentive to play with the system. It is solely a detriment, an obstacle. Yeah. And second, you get missions like um, you have to go up against a squad of five Marlboros on a field, and that field's native law is no status ailments. Hmm. And the law is the law regardless of who is breaking it, and the penalty is universal. Hmm. And in that particular mission, breaking the law meant losing the battle. I lost the battle two rounds in. Because that's how long it took a Marlboro to walk over to me. That seems entirely luck-based. That's a mission that you need to go into with five ribbons. Yeah. And there's no way to finesse that battle. That's awful. Yeah. And this is why I never finished Final Fantasy Tactics Advance 2. I just, just went and sold it after like far too many hours put in. Yeah, like, it's a shame because, like, there's problems with the original law system, but, like, just the ability to, like, oh, I'm facing a party of mages. Well, I'm going to make it against the law to cast spells. Mm -hmm. Like, that sort of, like, manipulation is interesting. <laughs> mm -hmm. But, they, like, they their response to people saying that the law system was obnoxious was to just essentially gut it, except for a handful of places where it was still obnoxious. Oh, is obnoxious wherever. It yeah. just it it went from providing some sort some obstacle and player agency to merely being an obstacle. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Uh, we got anything else we want to bring up? Hmm. Uh, some announcements this week. I don't know if you already went over those. Uh, no, not that I can think of. Like, uh, East 9 confirmed for the oh, US. Oh, yeah. Monstrum Knox. PS4, PC, and Switch here. So that'll be nice. Sweet. I'm sure that I hope I assume that Switch version will eventually find its way back into Japan. So probably, I think that Gaijin has a way to play East Nine. Hmm. <laughs> I have to actually play an East One, Two, or Three, or something. You should play East. East good. True. East East. It's very easy. Yeah, you're enjoy. trying to lure me out onto Easy Street. Yes, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, East 9, uh, Shiren 5. It's a good game. I reviewed the Vita version of that. Hey, it's you not mailed game, me the DS but... version at one point, Wheels. I still have to play oh, that's it. That's right, yeah. Wait, did you did you order the DS version from Japan, Wheels? Yeah, that was well before the Vita version came out. Yeah, I'd imagine, because that was like 2010 DS game, 2009. Yeah, it's an old game you at know this what? point. That actually... 
that actually goes into the question of the week from the other podcast. Ah, they're muscling in our turf. We'll muscle in on theirs. <laughs> sure, let's do it. Let's see, where is it? Um, let's see, cancer-inducing external hard drive. Okay, let's go over here. That's, <laughs> that, that's their most recent episode. Let's see, question of the week. Have you ever regretted a game or console purchase because of a port later on? For example, buying a Vita one week before Persona 4, um, Persona 4 Golden dropped on PEC. I would be sad for anyone that it happened. Hey, I, I intentionally bought a Vita because certain games were coming out on it. And I knew that they would probably be ported to other things later. But, you know, I was going for it. Um, I was like, I've got too many things I do like. I know I like on the system with no real yeah, possibility no, on anything useful. else later. And I do go back and I play some of them on Vita. Yeah. Yeah. Now, that does not mean I am not going to be buying Metal Max Xeno Reborn in September now. Uh, and not in two Fingers weeks. crossed. Yes. Hey, my local game store still hasn't taken down the uh, pre-order item or the pre-order form for it for ne- two weeks from now. <laughs> <laughs> you can get it early. That reminds me, Amazon still claims that my copy of Cyberpunk is shipping in September. Huh? Oh, found a good one on Twitter for that. Mm-hmm. Um, what was it? Is it? Somebody put up put up a quote-unquote screenshot of Cyberpunk 2077 running on current generation hardware, and it's a screenshot from the old Shadowrun game, SNES. <laughs> nice. In fact, it's uh, it's from the very beginning section of the game where the character wakes up in the morgue, pushes himself out, and says to himself, my brain feels burnt. <laughs> I kind of like that Shadowrun game, actually. Yeah. Yeah. We can hope it's good. So. Yeah, yeah. The recent Shadowrun games are pretty good. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I'm I, just thinking about Shadowrun. <laughs> I mean, I do remember playing the SNES Shadowrun game at one point, emulated, I think, but I don't remember ever getting far in it. It's a weird game. It's like a half like RPG, half adventure game thing. It's a very strange construction. Much like Shadowrun. Yeah, yeah. The Genesis game is more like a Shadowrun like sim- like simulation of the tabletop RPG, but I hate mm-hmm. the way that it both looks and sounds, so. <laughs> and then there's the weird Sega CD-only Shadowrun game, that uh, Japan-only Sega CD game, which is a visual novel, I believe. <laughs> mm. Or it, oh, might be, it might be more of a Japanese-style adventure game, actually, but it's still very funny that there is a Japan-only Shadowrun game for the Sega CD. And this is bringing me back to Crawl's question about a game that used some sort of random mechanics that have never been seen since. I'm thinking Unlimited Saga. Yeah, um, uh, basically nothing in that has ever uh, been reused since. Yeah, which is too bad in a few cases because they had some interesting stuff. I mean, just as long as they completely revamped the character Everything advancing system. around them. Yeah. God, I love... I, I just want to make sure that both of you look at the Sega CD Shadowrun uh, cover art because it's... Mm-hmm. 
Okay. Did we lose him? Let me... Oh, come on. Where is it? There it is. Okay. Okay, did we go t quiet? Uh, can you hear me? I can hear you. Uh, Dave. I'm not sure Dave's gone Dave. mute again. Well, at least he's typing something. Uh, technology. Oh, he says he got booted. Not like, uh, it says he's still on the call. Which is why he can't rejoin, I guess. Oh, that's bizarre. Mm-hmm. He is Schrodinger's co-host. <laughs> Crud, how do we fix this? I know. I'm going to restart the call. Hold on. Please make sure that everything is saved first. Oh, it it's that won't affect anything. Okay, good. I record in separate software. What on earth? I have no idea. Did it break for anyone else or no? Huh. Odd. Very odd. I apologize. It's not your fault. It might okay, be. Okay, we're back. I'm back. Okay. And all because I just wanted everyone to gaze at how anime this Shadowrun box art is. That is very anime. Yeah. <laughs> Granted, it's sort of Shadowrun in many ways. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure who was releasing Sega CD games in Japan in 1996, but uh, I hope they got their money's worth. <laughs> Wait, it was made by Compile. What? Oh, cool. No wonder they died. They were spending their money on that. <laughs> compile heart? What? No, proper compile. <laughs> the, the original compile. Okay. Don't bring up... No, Don't do it this. turned into Compile Hard after they finally broke away from Sega. And they died oh. so, so horribly. Oh. Yeah. Maybe and the answer to how did they have money is they were still making money off of Puyo Puyo at the time. And then, the, and then they lost Puyo Puyo. Yeah. Yeah, their very last game seems to have been Pochi and Nya. I'm pretty sure that was a Pokemon. <laughs> it should be. Oh, uh, Pochiana. <laughs> and let's see. Before that, they were... Oh, Xanic X Xanic. If anyone remembers good old Xanic for the Famicom. No. Uh, it's, it's a good shooter. It's well-respected. Limited amount of flicker, given the console's capabilities. Huh. But yeah, they made like a PlayStation remake called Xanic X Xanic. Hmm. Puyo Puyo. 
Yeah, they had fallen upon hard times by this point. <laughs> but yeah. Are we recording again? Or <laughs> Yeah, I never stopped recording. That's probably for the best. But uh, that means that everyone had to listen to... <laughs> Sorry, I'm... <laughs> Sorry, I'm just lost in some of these game names. Guru Logi Champ. Guru Logi is an abbreviation of Guru Guru Logic. Mm. A uh, Guru Guru being an onomatopoeia for rotating motion. That's uh, that's that's that compile spirit huh. for you. Uh, but yeah, what were we talking about before I uh, killed Skype? And Spacer's Choice? You're always thinking about that. <laughs> Listen, it's not the best choice. It's Spacer's Choice. Okay, I was unprepared to read how many things Puyo Puyo 2 got uh, released on. <laughs> Arcade, Genesis, Game Gear, PC-9801, Sega Saturn, Super Nintendo, PC uh, Engine, CD-ROM, uh, Windows 95, PlayStation, Game Boy, Wonder Swan, Neo Geo Pocket Color. Jeez. Okay. So, you know. Got around. Have you considered Puyo Puyo? I have. I'm terrible at it. It's absolute garbage. Yeah, me too. Have you considered Mr. Driller Drillland Wheels? Uh, I have considered it. Have you checked the demo yet? Not yet. You should. We should play it together eventually. It's multiplayer? Yeah, it's up to four players, apparently. I'm not sure if it's online. I should check that. <laughs> I, should put, uh, I should put the title theme on the as the opening or ending music. Good idea. I'll pull, uh, did I send that to you? or I think I did. Yes, you did. I'm just singing. It's just so. a children's chorus singing about Drill Land. <laughs> That. So, do we have anything else to talk about? Because I should probably get back to work sometime in the next forty minutes. That's fair. You should I've probably do your blog. Oh yes, you've. I've seen you post a screenshot of it even on Twitter. Yes, and I I learned a new word or a new form of a word. Hmm. It turns out you can pluralize encyclopedia with an e at the end. Yes, I did. Oh, not encyclopedia. Notice. Yes. Nice. Apparently, I'm the only one yeah. who did not know. <laughs> uh, that's what you get when you try to write from the point of view of a character with a stated uh, stat score of 18 in intelligence. <laughs> so, though, if you're wondering for, about some of her actions later in the book, sh her wisdom score is literally one half her intelligence score. Nice. That explains a lot. That's... Oh, it explains quite a bit of that, of the second part of the story. <laughs> that sounds like almost every character I've ever made in D and D. Yeah. I like making charismatic idiots. So. <laughs> oh, yeah. That, that's one of the one of the other fun things here is um, in the very first episode to clarify that everyone was equally pretty princesses. They all have the exact same charisma score. <laughs> so, and 
so does every other princess-type character in the entire series. Nice. <laughs> with, with bonuses adjusted for level. No. So, yeah. It's possible for a princess to become prettier. If, and only if, <laughs> she leveled up. Yeah, pretty, actually, that is, in fact, the entire rationalization there. That makes sense. It's like, oh, reach level eight? Okay, plus two to charisma. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, variant rules should be embraced. Yes. And it gets applied to everything that could possibly qualify as a princess in the entire series. <laughs> this includes the kobold in episode seven. Ooh, kobold. <laughs> yes. So yeah, that is available still as a Kindle book. Yes, and in paperback for first two collections, and eventually I'm going to get around to the third one. Yes, I've already got enough written up to fill a third collection. Oh, I do. I have. All, um, I mean, I'm on like starting on the fourth collection right now. Oh um, wow! No, it's just I was thinking about. It, I was probably going to going to publish the two side stories as like 99 cent stuff. Well, that's a good idea. Yeah, um, I mean the first side story is already in the second volume, and the third, the second, oh, first side story is in the second volume. The second side story is going to be in the third volume. Mm-hmm. I mean, I wasn't going to originally; it was just going to be like bonus material. But then it starts leading directly into the paralogue story, mm-hmm. which is going to be the fourth published novel eventually, mm-hmm. or fourth published um, paperback volume. So you kind of need both of those stories to figure out where a certain character is coming from. Mm-hmm. So, you know what? I'm just going to make sure that it's available. Make sure people can read about it and know it. (laughs) But yes, Princesses of the Pizza Parlor, nine excellent episodes. More to come. Um, Yep, one side story currently available only in print, soon to be different. Second side story also soon to be available in e-format. Nice. Volume 10 at some point, yes. And the 120,000-word paralogue eventually, yes. <laughs> hey, I mean, everything up to episode 9 right there is like 250,000 words total. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, so, I had somebody look at it and it's like, oh, this is too short, it's just a novella. I'm like, yeah, but it's a... Novellas add up, you know? Yeah, yeah. connected novellas. Yeah. It's a serialization. Yeah. So. I mean, it sounds vaguely like a light novel format at that point. <laughs> uh, not vaguely, no. Um, <laughs> no, but specifically since the original thought behind this was writing a fantasy story for my niece, who's in the age group there. Ah, uh, that would make sense. And doing, actually attempting something resembling market research, I was looking around and found out that, for example, Diary of a Wimpy Kid which some of my almost that age students at the time were reading in mm. Japanese, um, was about 20,000 words long. Yeah, it makes it less intimidating for a younger age group. Yep. So I intentionally chose that as my target for the first episode, and the first episode was 19,700-something words. Almost on the dot. <laughs> yeah. So I just marked how many pages in the notebook that took and aimed for that same number of pages each time. Makes sense. Oh, it kind of got a little unwieldy around episode six or seven, where I kind of 
leveled up on my handwriting skill in between projects and <laughs> really small hand, smaller and smaller and smaller handwriting. So like the first episode, I was doubling up lines, like two lines per one line of rule. Mm-hmm. At this point, I can do four lines per one line of rule. <laughs> I had to readjust my uh, my target pages after episode seven turned out to have fewer pages by sheet count than the first episode and about twice um, like 50 percent more words <laughs> yeah. i mean it was a it was a 30 th- it's a thirty thousand word episode it's yeah. still the longest one because i've since just figured out a better way of estimating total length and have been sticking closer to twenty three thousand. but yeah then I had fun going a little overboard on some side stuff there. <laughs> yeah. That oh, can be fun. <laughs> so how far have you actually gotten, Wheels? Uh, At least page 36. Yes. Yeah. About, half, <laughs> about halfway through the first episode, I think. Okay. Have they actually left the school? Yes. Yeah. Okay, just, cool. They're, they're just about to, anyway. I got yep. past the first skill check. Yeah. It was like, okay, what can I do that is more interesting than simply everyone meets in a bar? Everyone gets pulled up in front of the headmaster, the headmistress of the school and <laughs> and gets told that, you know what, they can't go home for summer vacation this year for random reason. Mm-hmm. And they're all like, screw that, we're leaving. They find a way to leave. <laughs> yep. And the headmistress is quite entertained for the rest of the series as she just uses scrying mirrors to watch him go and like, wow, they survived again. Cool. (laughs) (laughs) While certain other members of the faculty are starting to freak out a bit. As you do. Yeah. It's like, they went up against what? (laughs) Um as of episode nine, the um, the gnomish uh, enchantments teacher at the school is she should be on anti anxiety drugs at this point. She really should be, especially after what happened in episode nine. Um, you know, very fun. So keep reading, wheels. Keep reading. I shall. <laughs> yes. Uh, I just realized that uh, during the. Uh, what we've been playing discussion that I f- forgot to mention something. Nothing oh, useful, yeah. but something. Uh, progenitor to most uh, action RPGs in Japan, Tower of Druaga. Oh, there's a classic. <laughs> yeah, it showed up on one of the Namco collections I picked up, and I was like, eh, let's see how this works. And the answer is very confusingly, but the modern collections at least have hints as to how each of the floors are supposed to work, so that's something. Oh, that's even better. <laughs> You might actually one day finish it. It's still deeply unfair and mean, but you might actually finish it. <laughs> weird game, weird game. Very influential game. Uh, not recommended outside of cur- historical curiosity, but if you are historically curious, it is the uh, patient zero of, uh, I want to say, like, is it Dragon Slayer 1 that's at least partially inspired by it, and so is, like, uh, Hydlide. 
the few other like really like formative Japanese action RPGs. <laughs> so you know, a lot to blame uh, to be laid at its feet. Yeah, I think Dragon Slayer One should be because it came out in like early '85, I think, or late '84. It looks like, and uh, Tower of Draga is like early '84. Video game history—it's a nightmare, especially when we start talking about Dragon Slayer. Oh, there's so many Dragon Slayer games, and so many of. So many things that were Dragon Slayer eventually started becoming something unrelated. Yep. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about Dragon Slayer 2 as Xanadu? Uh. <laughs> uh. How do you feel about Legacy of the Wizard Wheels? The game is annoying. <laughs> How do you feel about the fact that dra- that Legend of Heroes is technically a Dragon Slayer spinoff? Also annoying. It- I was going to say, it's a spinoff that's wagging the dog at this point. It's now several spinoffs deep, like all uh, Falcom games. But yeah, Dragon Slayer, Aeth and Sets. Yeast is like the only series for them that has a relatively straight line. I mean, its it's timeline is all crooked, but... Yeah, that's not important. Uh, But yeah... Zvi is pretty short. I mean, it's just Zvi and Zvi 2, which is really funny. It, I I remember when the second one was announced, I was like, why didn't they just call it Dry? <laughs> well, then we'd have to wonder where Ayn went. Hmm? Well, then we'd have to wonder where Ayn went. Oh, he's still, over, he's still on the Bebop. <laughs> no, no, he went off with Radical Edward. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right around the point where the story's about to resolve very messily, and they have to, like, shoo out all the characters that you don't want to see end horribly. Yeah. Yes, yes. Good point, good point. Ah, uh, that's a good show. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, man, that reminds me of that uh, Japan-only Cowboy Bebop PS2 game that got announced and for English release and then just summarily canceled for no reason. That game actually came out. I thought it was just yeah, it came out in Japan. Damn, was it good? Uh, I'm given to understand that the answer is probably not very, but I'm also given to understand that like the cutscenes themselves form a fairly decent like side story. Like here's another episode of Bebop uh, plot arc. Damn it! So I mean, it's still probably better than the PS1 Cowboy Bebop game, which is inexplicably a Star Fox clone. <laughs> Why? Remember all that time that uh remember how the real the real core of Cowboy Bebop was uh was all those times that uh Spike's doing ship chases in the swordfish. Uh. Uh. Uh, yeah. Okay, well that's that's me going into deep tangents that no one needs, so mm-hmm. let's uh let's wrap. That's wrap. Uh, we want to close the book on this? Yeah, okay. Questions, usual place. They go in the podcast section of the Discord or in the comments section. Oh, uh, I have 
code. I have a code for Wonderful 101 on PC that needs a home. As well as a Please. code for Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse that needs a home. Oh, man. It's a good movie, guys. It is. And the digital version even has all those nice extras, in my experience. Hmm. Did you buy it again, Wheels? <laughs> I bought the 4K Blu-ray. Of course you did. Yeah. But yeah, I got the I scavenged the code off Wheels' first Blu-ray. Highly recommended. Good way to get hold of a very good film. Yes. And it uh, comes with the alternative cut as well, which is nice. It's a nice touch. It's a very different cut. Very strange. Yeah. I think the final cut's much stronger, but it's nice that they showed it at all. <laughs> so yeah, uh, both of those are claimable if you write a question and say you would like them. Yes. First come, first <laughs> if serve. If multiple people do that, then well, too bad. First come, first serve. <laughs> or we'll make you fight it out in um, the hell's the name of that combat in the original Star Trek. Oh, why am I forgetting it? I'm remembering the thing that causes it, but not its actual name. That's uh, probably in a muck time, oh, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Pun far? No, that's the that's the thing that causes it. Yeah. Why am I doing this? <laughs> Why am I looking this up? <laughs> I don't I know, but I, I do need to get going soon. <laughs> All right. Okay, you should probably go while we work this out. Okay. You work through these very important questions, <laughs> and I shall see you next week. See ya. See ya. There are so there are so many just proper nouns in this. So like I would I don't think any, just remembering the Futurama Futurama. That's the only real reason I even know about. It. It's because of Futurama. Let Cloblock begin. Let's just let's just pretend it's Cloblock. Okay. It's a it's a new tradition. Only eighteen years old. Be it for me to question your crazy society or its dumb customs. <laughs> Futurama was too good for this world. Yes, this is true. I'm still thinking about that shot I sent you. <laughs> the great taste of Charleston Chew. Oh. A rule. I remember Billy West on one of the commentaries just talks about where the voice for that came from. It was like some old Nixon movie, but he just, every time he saw it, it sounded like a guy playing, to him, it sounded like the guy playing Nixon was turning into a wolf man at all times. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why he gave oh Nixon God. the affectation of a rule. <laughs> Why isn't there a Futurama RPG? I don't know. When are they going to bring Futurama back again? <laughs> Give Netflix five more years. Yes. <laughs> I can't, haven't really been able to get into uh, Disenchanted. Disenchanted? Yeah. I'll have to check that out sometime. To give it a sh sometime, give it a shot. But, yeah, I mean, Futurama was kind of my uh, platonic ideal. So... Yeah. 
dead and tired. Uh, I missed that show. Yeah. In conclusion, I don't know, Bender's probably the tank. True story. I bring this up entirely based on the episode of uh, the episode where uh, he's floating through space and he's floating through like a tiny set of meteoroids and he's just like, oh no, if even a single one of them were to hit me, it could and it just crashes through his head and he says, ow, hurt slightly. <laughs> Godfellas is a good episode. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm, I, I don't want to spend too much of the audience's time on this. Questions and comments section or in the podcast section of the Discord. Otherwise, see you, Space Cowboys. On Rag and Roll, on an autumn day, I saw her first in you. That her dark hair would weave a snare that I might one day. I saw the day